All right, let's jump into Philippians chapter three. I'm so grateful to get to share God's word with you. Thank you for being here. You guys are such a blessing and it's just a, just, it's a privilege, you know, to do life with you and to do church and experience the sacraments together, experience God's word. Um, you see here to your left, as you're finding Philippians three, this is our brand new water baptism tank. And what a, what a blessing it is to have this uh, we had several baptized in the first service. We don't have anyone scheduled for this service, but I believe that hundreds of people are going to be baptized through this this uh, baptismal tank. And thanks for your generosity to make it happen. And I, I just, now that people can see it and you, there's a cover, you can imagine there's water underneath the cover. Uh, it's it's uh, real easy to, it's real easy for us to provide that for you. So we'll schedule this on a regular basis and, and, and remind you of that. But um, if, if the Lord moves on your heart, you don't have to wait till something's scheduled. Uh, we will do our best to accommodate you uh, with the best we can. And because of your generosity, it's easier to do that now. It was a little bit complex before, but, but, but what a blessing to have this. And so, so thanks for, uh, again, um, just for being a great church. And, and I really believe God's going to speak to you through this teaching today. There is something called CIL Forward that a lot of you have been through, but not all of you have. It's in, in past years, we would call it a membership class, but it's more than a class. It's us discovering who's a partner, who has God called to this church. And we, we offer that a couple of times a year uh, in person, but it's online right now. You could start it today. Go to CIL.church and you can find CIL Forward. That will be the link to start the course. Um, when I say start the course, it's real easy. There's just a bunch of short videos that you can watch five minutes here, 15 minutes the next day, and, and that will um, allow you to get the information about the church. And then we want to meet with you personally because it's not just about information. It's about relationship. Speaking of relationship, we've been going through the book of Philippians, and the New Testament is all about relationships. There's all types of relationships happening, and most of them are good, but sometimes they can be negative relationships, and those pop up too. And today, I'm going to ask this question, or really the scripture asks this question. The title is this, enemies are citizens. Which one are we? And you know, as we categorize things in this particular passage, there are two categories. Two categories. There's enemies of the cross and citizens of heaven. And it's a good way for us to evaluate our lives and to look out for our influences also. So I'm going to read the scripture and let's start with verse 17 of Philippians chapter 3. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live, who live according to the example you have in us. Let's just stay there for a second. I normally don't give commentary this early on the scripture, but I'll say this. We've already addressed this in previous messages about mentorship and partnership, and this theme is now here and will be present throughout the book. This verse 17 is saying, hey, listen, look at us as an example. Follow us in the way we live our lives, and that's what the kingdom of God is. It's about friendship and relationship and example. Now, that's not necessarily what the rest of the teaching is today. Now, a contrast starts in verse 18. And now, I'll read verse 18 and the rest of the passage and then present this as the word of the Lord. And if you choose, you can join me in saying, thanks be to God at that moment. Now, we see the contrast. He's saying, follow us, but don't follow these type of people. Verse 18. 
For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Aldrich Ames was arrested in 1994. He had a 30-year career in the CIA. Why was he arrested, you might ask? Because, unfortunately, those last 10 years, he had served as a double agent with the KGB. And it was very destructive what he did. He got money from the KGB, and he also identified a lot of secret agents in Russia who lost their lives because of his betrayal. I think about this because someone who was trained by our government, who had secrets from our government, who you thought was one of us, or at least those in the CIA thought that, was really working for the enemy. Unfortunately, sometimes there's those around us that we don't realize uh, may not be with us. And that applies to a lot of different things in life. But in this passage today, I thought about about this whole spy game issue in recent American history uh, because maybe it helps us understand some of the concerns that Paul had. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about verse 2. And if you have your Bibles open, you can kind of look at verse 2 and remember that, that Paul said, watch out for those who try to make you be circumcised. Now, unfortunately, or I mean, I guess God was sovereign on this, that fell on Family Sunday, so if you had to explain to your kids circumcision on the drive home from church, sorry about that. I was just trying to be faithful to the word. Uh, but at that time, I mean, he, was, he was reminding us legalism's not a good thing, where you require people to do things to prove their salvation. So that's one side of a coin, or that's one category of people he was saying, warning us about. Now I see Paul by the Holy Spirit, warning us of a different type of person around us. It's those who have the benefits of Jesus and the benefits of the community and the benefits of the church, but they've not let the cross impact their life. And the way they live their lives, they're enemies of the cross. And so I see this and look at verse 18 again. And I like his tone here. I know he can be a little prickly in other places in scripture, but I like it here. Verse 18, for I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I, I like that I say this with tears because a lot of times we maybe incorrectly get this rush or we get this adrenaline when we point out people who are outside of the faith. Where I look at those people, those people, I can't believe what happens in Hollywood. Or I can't believe what happens in Washington, D.C. and all this. And it's like we excite the crowd. And, and here Paul's saying, I want to identify with tears, enemies of the cross. There's not that edge about him. Like it's so fun to point out who's on the outside because we're on the inside. It's a compassionate realization that not everyone follows the way of the cross. And some are not just ambivalent towards the cross, 
They're antagonistic towards it. They're like, I don't care about the cross of Christ. And helping us be aware of that, well, it allows us to pray for people. It allows us to engage with people, but it also protects our faith. Because sometimes people that we admire or people that we look up to may also be enemies of the cross. So you say, well, what is an enemy of the cross? I'm kind of curious. Well, I'm glad you asked because the scripture makes it really clear here. And as I see the scripture, I see myself and some of these characteristics in my past. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for transforming me and changing me. Because I was an enemy of the cross until Jesus drew me to himself. And Jesus saved me. And Jesus transformed me. And Jesus redeemed me. So here are some characteristics. Number one, they worship their appetites. Enemies of the cross worship their appetites. There's an interesting phrase here in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Well, this is a, a phrase that was meant to be kind of attention grabbing and, and, and something that would make people say, what? What's he really saying there? The New Living Translation gives us a, another way of looking at this that I think is helpful. In the same verse, in a different translation, verse 19 says, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. And so does this apply to gluttony and food? Well, it could but it's not the only thing. Certainly anything that becomes an addiction, food or alcohol or marijuana or technology, being on our phones too much, when these things become an addiction and take us away from the things that really matter, um, it, it, it can be, it can feel, it can feel like something taking us away from the Lord. Now, here, I'm gonna be very clear about something. Those of us who struggle with those things and, and want to be set free, we're going to see that's not who the scripture is talking about here. It's talking about people who have totally disregard God to follow their appetites. Well, what appetites? Well, there's three big ones, and they're so big that even the world understands this. Even those who market us will identify, here's three big appetites that appeal to everyone that can become our God. Money, sex, power. These are things that are an appetite. We want more money. And even the richest among us are interested in more money. We want sex. We want power. And so it's never enough to just get a promotion and just stay there. We want to keep advancing. And all of these things can be submitted to the Lord and can become gifts from the Lord. But when, when they become our gods, like all we care about is more wealth. All we care about is more sex. All we care about is more power. And those things are the most important things in our life. So much so, not even that they're most important as in a priority list, but a complete disregard for, for God. Say, God, you have no place in my life because power and money and sex and pleasure, those are the things that really make me feel alive. Those are the things that I live for. And when we give ourselves totally over to having having no pathway for God in those areas of our life, then we're saying, I don't need the cross. The cross, the cross is nothing. The cross is not necessary. The cross is not needed because my appetite is my God. I'm going to follow my desires. I want to, I want to follow my natural appetite. I want to do what always feels good with disregard for not only God, 
but the community that it, that it hurts. And so we see that, that those who, who totally reject God are to this. Here's the second thing I see the scripture saying, are unaffected, are unaffected. I'll reemphasize this. I respect those of you who, who are struggling with substance abuse, who are struggling with, with maybe an eating disorder, who you're struggling with financial problems because you're not giving up. You're here right now. You're listening to the sermon. You're, you're, you're wanting to please the Lord. But that's not an enemy of the cross. The enemy of the cross is someone who says, I'm going to do those things without any concern for God, any concern for morality, any concern for scripture. And I'm turning that off in my life. I thank God for people listening to me right now who are not, who are not enemies of the cross. We see this in verse 19. They brag about shameful things. This is that complete disregard for God. Not that, hey, I'm struggling and I want to get better or made a mistake again or, dear Lord, please help me. But throwing off all constraints to say, this is me and I don't care what scripture says. This is me and I don't care what God says about this. I've got a temper and if you cross me, I'm going to punch you in the face. I don't care what the scripture says. This is a complete disregard. I'm going to take care of my family and I'll give the leftovers. I'll give the leftovers if I feel like it. Not living a life of generosity or a life of obedience. On and on and on. There's dozens and dozens of examples of this. And here it is, is, is this idea of no conscience. Say, like that, whatever pricks your heart. And, and you like, we know instinctively that there's some things that are wrong. Even without scripture, humanity know, knows some things are wrong. You know, it's, it, we know it's wrong to, you know, to abuse an animal. It just even as a little kid, you just kind of feel like that's not the wrong, that's not the right thing to do. Even if other kids in the neighborhood are doing it, or even that's, a, you know, that's not right. And there's something within you that, that your conscience says, hey, that, that's, that's wrong. When we ignore our conscience, which is a gift from God, we're throwing off all constraints. And we say, hey, I'm going to do what I feel like doing. Now, I, 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 I talked about animals. We, we, we love animals, and that wasn't really the point I'm trying to make. There's other other things that affect human beings that have even greater consequences, eternal consequences, that, that we, when, we, when we become proud of our sin and proud of our freedom and proud of what we know what to do, proud of what we choose to do without any concern for God, his scripture, the community, then we act as enemies of the cross. Here's number three, earthly focused. Look at verse 19. They are focused on earthly things. That's the focus of their life. No thought of eternity. They have a, those who are enemies of the cross have a limited vision of earth. They just see the 100 to 120 years they're given on this earth as the only things that matter. And when we, when we become citizens of heaven, we now see further. We see past that conversation we're having today. We see past the interaction that we have. We see past the wrong that's been done to us. And we just don't see how it impacts earth 
and the things of the earth, we look into eternity and we look into the future and we see things from a different perspective. That's why Colossians chapter three, verse one and two says, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Set your mind on things that matter in the heavens where the heart of God is. Now, once you do that, you say, should we not care about the earth? No, that's not what it's saying. See, when we set our mind on only earthly things, usually it's self-centered. We're talking about how things affect me, how things affect my experience, how things affect my reality. But when we put our mind on things above, on heavenly things, we begin to see that heaven is not far away from earth. Heaven is not something in the future. Heaven is something in the now. The kingdom of God is invading the earth through the people of God by the Holy Spirit. So we are not disengaging. I'm not suggesting that you not care about the causes and issues of our day. Think deeply, care deeply, and then put your mind on heaven. And put your mind on heaven, and then what happens is you begin to see the heart of God for what's happening in our world today. The heart of God that cares that there's a war in Ukraine. It's not acceptable that both Ukrainians and Russians are losing their lives um, really on a daily basis these last nine months because, because of the power of mankind. It, it's not acceptable that abuse is happening to children. And so we continue to try to provide safe places for children, to help children. It's not acceptable that Islam is spreading, and that's not something that, that, that the Lord takes lightly when we know that truth is through Christ. It's not acceptable, the manipulation of the American pastor. That's not acceptable in God's eyes. And so spiritual abuse matters, and we should care, and we should, we should really care about what happens. I'm not suggesting that you check out. Colossians 3, 2 isn't saying, hey, put your mind on things above because things don't really matter on the earth. It says, put your mind on things above because when you get God's perspective and God's heart, then you begin to see that you are a co-worker by the Lord's sovereign choice to make this world a better place, to, to find places where truth is not and show God's truth, to find places where people are being oppressed or people are being uh, ignored or people are being overlooked and you participate with God in bringing the kingdom of God here. This is what God's calling us to do because we're citizens of heaven. And citizens of heaven, I'm gonna give you the last two categories before we move towards a closing. Eagerly await the coming of the Lord. Eagerly await the coming of the Lord. You saw a description of who enemies of the cross are. That's not us. That's not you. That's not who we want to be because of Jesus. We're not. Look at verse 20 of Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I love that I'm a citizen of America. And I just thank God for that. I study American history on a, on a regular basis, and it's an important part of, of my life. I'm thankful for it. But when Jesus, and I realized what the gospel did for me, that's not my identity. My identity is not an American. I, you know, when I stand before God, he's not going to care if you're American or you're Chinese or you're Korean or, or if you're Kenyan. He's going to care, have you 
Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Do you know the transformational work of Jesus Christ? These are the things that matter. This is what matters. So our citizenship is not based off earthly things. Paul had access to probably the most powerful citizenship there was. If you read the book of Acts, you you can see that that his Roman citizenship brought him privilege uh, at a level we don't even have as an American citizen today. It was something that many people had to purchase, and he he inherited that. So he was from the right family, the right people to have this, this Roman citizenship. And he's the one who wrote this and said, hey, we are citizens of heaven. We have a different identity. Our identity is in heaven and with the Lord and with what the Lord has. And so we're eagerly awaiting for the coming of the Lord. Guys, one thing all Christians have had in common these last 2,000 years is we've all been waiting for the coming of the Lord. Jesus said, as I go into heaven, as I ascend into heaven, he said, look for me. I'm going to come back in the same way that, that I'm going to return the same way that you see me now. Just as he ascended into heaven, we're going to see a physical, visible Jesus come back to earth. This is our hope. This is what we're looking for. And that's what all Christians have had in common. We've all been waiting for the coming of the Lord. And the coming of the Lord is going to happen because he said he's coming back. It's going to happen because his word is true. It's going to happen because he is, he has promised that he's prepared a place for us. So in between now and then, we wait for the coming of the Lord. What do we do when we wait for the coming of the Lord? Do we scour websites to try to see, you know, what is happening and, and, and all types of clues of whether it's going to be this year or next year? There's no need to do that. That might be a hobby and that might interest you, uh, but it's just as, as, just as valuable as watching a sports game or listening to music or something. It's just something fun to do. He's going to come back because he said he's going to come back. Now, I've studied the book of Revelation quite a bit. And um, if you want to know what all those things, all those, uh, those, the symbolic things mean in Revelation, let me tell you, nobody knows what they mean. Nobody knows what they mean. They're all guessing. They're all guessing what they mean. But what we do know is there's a Jesus revealed in Revelation who's at a particular place. He's at a place of authority. He's at a place of power. He's at a place of dominion over the the dark, evil forces of this world. And he is the ruler and reigner. Reigner, that's not a good word. He is the one... He is the one who rules and reigns all of creation and the whole cosmos. And he is in charge and he is the one that is coming back for us. He's coming back with power. He's coming back with authority. He's coming back in victory. He's coming back to rule and reign the earth and it's going to prove to the world what it's like when a righteous, holy, perfect, sinless person is finally in charge. I'm going to tell you, all Christians, we have lived in anticipation of this. A leader with no corruption, a leader with no hidden agenda, a leader who won't manipulate us, a leader who won't deceive us, a leader who has the best interests of the people in mind. I'm going to tell you, there's only one leader who does that perfectly, and his name is Jesus. And we're looking for his return. This is not some kind of wish we have for the future. This is a reality that is before us. This is a reality that we're going to see. We're going to see with our own eyes the Lord come back. Is it going to happen in our lifetime? Maybe. Is it going to happen in 10,000 years? Maybe so. We don't know. I, I know this is that when, if I was alive in 90 AD, I should have said Jesus could be coming back. 
And if my great, 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 great grandchildren are alive, they should say, Jesus is coming back because his coming is not based off circumstances that we can try to attach to Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation and take the number 40, attach to 1948, 1967 and work backwards and do back then. All that stuff doesn't, compare to the greatness of his promise. He's coming back. Get ready, people. Get ready with righteousness. Get ready with a a passion for the word of God. Get ready for a dedication to the church. Get ready with acts of kindness to friends and neighbors and family members. Get ready by doing the things he called us to do. Don't get so preoccupied with signs of the time that you forget the greatest sign. That's his love and power in your life. We're going to do great things for him. We're going to do exploits for him. We're going to do great things because we're citizens of heaven. We're part of, of, of a people with an identity, not an identity attached to this earth, an identity attached to the promise of God. So number two is this, and it's the last thing I'll share. We eagerly await transformation. I love this about our God. We are going to change people. We are changing and our future is better than our present. I'm going to tell you this is that the the decades the Lord gives us, he may give us 10 decades. He may give us 12 decades if we have the the best, you know, the, the best experience here on this earth. But we will live forever because of the work of Jesus. We when we breathe our last breath on this earth, we do not die. We extend into our real life with Christ. And there is, there is a day coming where old habits we haven't been able to kick and we've struggled with won't be with us anymore. We're going to a place where there's no more sin. There's no more corruption. There's no more injustice. There's no more deception. It's a place where the righteousness of God shines so bright that it touches every part of our day. The righteousness of God is so pure and so misjudgment. We don't have to worry about it. We don't ever have to worry about a besetting sin. We don't ever have to worry about a misjudgment. We don't have to worry about a misstep. We don't have to worry about losing our temper. We don't have to worry about people finding out about our past or us messing up our future because Jesus is going to be in charge. And when we see him, we're going to change by his power. We're going to change. Sin won't have any effect on us anymore. There won't be any chains of bondage of us anymore. I want to tell you, we've got a great future with the Lord because the Lord has prepared a place for us. And he said this in verse 21. I want you to hear this. He will transform the body of our humble condition. I like that. Now, I know a lot of you might be, but let's just, let's stick with the word here. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enabled him to subject everything to himself. I, this, is, this is a beautiful thing to see that, that we're all going to, our bodies will be resurrected with the Lord and they'll be renewed in his image. In the natural, in the natural aging process, we feel decay. We feel decay. We feel things wearing out. That's just temporary because there's a resurrection coming because a first resurrection has already happened. Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection and he came back in power and authority in his physical body. He, his physical body was a resurrected body. First Corinthians chapter 15 teaches about that. And it wasn't just about him, it's about us too. We will be resurrected with the Lord and we will see him and see his coming and we will be different. We will be changed and because 
because the Lord is so great. The best you is before you. I want you to hear this today. The best you is before you. Don't be discouraged by your mistake. Don't stop because you've had a misstep. Don't, don't stay in the place of regret because you wish that you would have wasted a year or wasted a decade or wasted a career. I want you to know that your future with the Lord is great because everyone who turns to the Lord, everyone who repents, everyone who takes a step towards the Lord will see that he can do more in our weakness than we can do in our strength. He can do more in, in our limitations than we can do with all our power and all our might. And I see you guys. I see the Lord raising you up, raising you up with new goodness, raising you up with new opportunity, raising you up with new perspective. I see the Lord raising up new relationships within you, uh, around you, excuse me. I just see the Lord has new connections and new surprises. I want you to lift up your eyes to the one who's coming back again. He's coming back again because he loves his people. He's coming back again because he's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things as they should be. And Satan and his power and his authority that has limited rulership right now, Satan will be cast into into the abyss, into the everlasting uh, lake of fire so he can no longer torment God's people again. And we will be free to worship God with no limitations. So I'm going to tell you this. Don't let the enemies of the cross take away what the Lord's given you. And you know this, that you're a citizen of heaven. You might think differently. You might dream differently. You might see differently, but that's a gift from the Lord that is from him. And that's a result of his salvation and his love on your life. Hey, if you're able to stand, I want us to stand together. Father, we we thank you, Lord, for encouraging us with this scripture today. Father, I pray, Lord, for those, God, who who might have identified enemies of the cross. And Lord, we say it with tears, God. We say it with tears, Lord, for those, God, who live just for their appetites, God. For those, those, Lord, who who are earthly-minded only and have no thought of eternity. Lord, for, for those who who have not allowed God to impact their life, God. We, we pray blessings over them. And Lord, we, we pray, God, that they would come to know the greatness of who you are. But Lord, as you want to encourage your people this day, I thank you, God, that our identity is with you. We're citizens of heaven. I thank you, God, that we have an identity with you, Lord. And Lord, as we, we come to your table this day, as we come before you today, we thank you, Lord, that when we come to the table of the Lord, you remind us not of our sinfulness, but you remind us of our chosenness. I want you to know this is that even if you were involved in a sin in the last 24 hours, something that you regret, something that's not you, something that you wish you didn't do, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate you. He wants you to think right now, I don't belong into the kingdom of God. I'm not part of the family. I'm not part of the church. That's a lie. That's the accuser of the enemy. I want you to know this is that the Lord has a place for you. He let this message be for you. He's let these sacraments be for you. Even this church exists today for you because he's not pushing you out of the kingdom. He's not pushing you out of the family. He's calling you back in. He's saying, you belong. The struggle means you belong. The struggle means you haven't quit. The struggle means you've got grace upon your life. You've got conviction on your life. You have a conscience. You have a compelling God who's saying, come on to the place I have for you. Come on to 
the place of strength. Come to the place of life. And I want you to hear that this day. You belong to the kingdom of God. You are in the family of God because of Jesus. He did what no man can do, what no worship leader can do, what no religious leader can do, what no preacher can do. I want to tell you, Jesus did for us what no one can do. He changes our hearts. He draws us to him. He leads us to repentance. And Lord, and he invites us into the family of God. And so I want you to know you belong in the family of God and you are welcome this day.